So when a client is allowed to tell their story, it connects, they feel validated. And it's something super simple for people who just are like, I don't know where to start. Start there with a conversation. You don't have to give anything. People are just grateful to be heard. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worrying more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hi, everyone. It's Gavin here. I hope you're hanging in there in the midst of the shelter in place. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation that's not directly with someone in the Santa Clara community. I actually had a professor, Dr. Plant, who referenced an organization called Life Moves in class that's doing a lot of work to support people experiencing homelessness. And I reached out to this organization, Life Moves, and scheduled an interview with someone from their nonprofit. And I've been really interested in this issue of homelessness for a while, thinking about what are uh, practical solutions. And it's, it's such a pressing problem in the Silicon Valley and Bay Area. So I wanted to learn more, kind of break down some misconceptions that people have and get an insight into what organizations are doing to help people return to stable housing. So Heather Bucci started at Life Moves over six years ago as a case manager, and she's now uh, a director of Santa Clara County Shelters and Services. Before Life Moves, she worked at a Kreider Health Center and served in the Peace Corps for two years. Life Moves is a nonprofit dedicated to finding solutions to homelessness in Silicon Valley. They operate 23 shelter locations from Daly City to San Jose, and they provide essential services, case management, and community outreach. Uh, last year, they served over 9,350 men, women, and children to help them return to long-term stable housing. And as you might imagine, the COVID-19 pandemic poses additional problems and challenges for homeless populations, so Life Moves work is more important than ever, and they have a special page on their website all about how you can help and get involved. So to learn more, you can go to lifemoves.org, and you'll be able to find all the information there. So this was a super insightful conversation into a really important problem affecting both the Santa Clara community and I'm sure wherever you're from, uh, homelessness is prevalent in your town as well. And yeah, especially now when I think we're thinking more as a society about what does it mean to have equitable housing to keep people safe and provide essential services. This uh, a focus on homelessness is especially important. So I think this is a timely conversation. We recorded this kind of just before the shelter in place hit, so um, we don't directly talk about it. But um, you'll you'll get a glimpse into the work of Life Moves and what we can do to combat homelessness. Enjoy the conversation. So I'd love to first get a little bit of context on like homelessness in the area, like how how bad is it? I know, you know, I've been up north to San Francisco and it's really concentrated there, right? But like what is homelessness like in San Jose generally? 
So in San Jose, it's pretty profound, much like what you see in San Francisco. Um, we just did a point in time homeless count last February, and that's of 2019. In San Jose alone, there are over 6,000 unsheltered individuals every night. Um, and that's a huge rise from the previous point in time count, which was two years prior to that. So we do them every two years. Um, and what we found in the county is that for every one person that we housed, where we met our targets, we met our five-year plan for housing people, three more individuals actually fell into homelessness. So we weren't able to keep up with the growing demands of homelessness. So more and more people were becoming, um, you know, rent unstable and they were losing their work or not making enough to keep up with the cost of living. And so it's actually gotten significantly worse, uh, much like what you see in San Francisco County. Is it mostly like single individuals? Are there a lot of families and kids? Um, Right now of our unsheltered population, 30% of them are families. So a large majority of them are single adults. Um, We have 85% of those are unsheltered adults. 60% are veterans. Um, So really, I think... Students are a huge population. Um, They tend to be kind of the couch surfers in the wind. You don't necessarily know them. So we did a lot more work this last February in making sure that we count um, students who were previously being missed. So we saw, again, the single adults is probably the biggest chunk of the unsheltered in our county. Hmm. One of the bigger questions I have, which is more, I guess, of a deeper, like moral or ethical question is... You know, like, for, for example, if, if we think about San Francisco and kind of multiple mayors have come in and you know, promise they're going to do something to address this, this homelessness problem. And just because it's a huge city, everything's really compacted in. Right. And uh, so on one hand, there are like laws around, you know, you you cannot do certain things in public or be in certain spaces. Right. And people quickly get like annoyed when those laws are broken right so that's kind of one side and then on the other side is like compassion right for people who are in a really tough spot right and so how do we think about like like laws and rules in conjunction with compassion right and can we can we have both I mean, I think those are very personal questions that each each individual asks themselves I can tell that the county and public opinion is shifting in Santa Clara County. So we create a five-year plan, the county does, um, and they bring in community constituents. So different stakeholders, either from service providers, from city government officials, from um, the community themselves, the neighbors, right? The ones who are saying, yes, of course, do something, but no, not not on my street because I don't want to look at it. And what we've seen is this year when we're putting together our new five-year plan is that there's more and more individuals from the community saying, no, I want to be part of that solution. And there's suffering and so we have to take action. So for the first time ever, instead of just putting money into one pot or one plan, um, there's actually a pillar of what do we do with people who are unsheltered right now? And so there's a lot of conversations with community members about, okay, if they're going to be here and they're in our our community and I don't have the housing resource that's needed, um, can I do something more humane, which is that compassion thing? And so you see in certain um, areas where they're discussing putting in basic necessities such as 
toilets, mm-hmm. um, general trash pickups. So in San Jose, they've started in certain encampments actually going in and providing certain color of bags um, where individuals in that encampment can pick up after themselves and then place it in an area where it can be picked up routinely, which both solves for the need to be hygienic and reduce kind of spread of, of disease, but also, you know, that's a more humane approach of, of that. We've also seen that we're meeting people more where they're at and the communities are more open to non-traditional solutions. So Life Moves just this last year has started in partnership with the city of San Jose, a safe parking program. And so that is where individuals who are living unsheltered, but in their vehicles or RVs um, can safely park in a city owned lot. We're partnering with community centers and they stay there from 7 PM to 7 AM. We provide security, but they go there every night and they are not harassed. They're not um, asked to leave. We provide food and other basic services, including case management. So it's kind of that bridge. And we're seeing that more and more that community members in Santa Clara are more open to that. And again, it's that personal question of like, what's the balance? Um, I think right now we're still figuring it out, but there, I'm seeing more steps in that direction. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then what are some of the major uh, programs of life moves and kind of the, the mission of the organization? Well, our mission is to rapidly return individuals and families to self-sufficiency and stable housing. And we do that through a variety of programs. Our largest piece of that is our shelter-based program. So, you know, providing temporary and emergency shelter to individuals who are actively unsheltered. We also have a drop-in center here in the county. We partner through um, the county system of the Emergency Assistance Network, which we call EAN. And so those are are ways to leverage resources to keep people housed before they become homeless. So emergency rent assistance or car repair, things that would otherwise tip people into homelessness because they aren't financially secure enough to make that next payment, to keep them housed then and to keep families in the housing that they currently have. Um, We operate the safe parking programs that I just mentioned. And we also have a motel voucher program that we're working to expand with the city. And so that serves families predominantly with minor children. Um, So maybe people who cannot couch surf anymore, who don't have an asset of a vehicle, getting them out um, and into a more stable location as they wait for shelter placement or other you know, kind of support assistance to get back into housing. Mm. Mm-hmm. But our biggest chunk is definitely shelters and the case management that's provided in all of those services. Mm-hmm. And those are all permanent shelters. The facilities themselves are permanent. Our safe parking is uh potentially movable, but we stay at the same lot every night. And then in our motel voucher program, we partner with a motel, but it's different mm-hmm. motels in the in the mm-hmm. county. Um and the shelter, the physical buildings will move. The population shifts, meaning right. that clients tend to move through. We have lengths of stay where we try and obviously move people into stable housing. So we're not permanent to clients, but the structures are mobile. Mm-hmm. Is it really difficult to move people into permanent housing or do you find like pretty good success when you kind of implement these programs? It's both. So for us, we have a really high success rate for our families um, in getting them back into stable housing. It's like 90% of families get into stable housing. For our singles, it's a little more challenging and we tend to hover around 45% getting into stable housing. 
which is still tremendous given the market right now, but it's harder and harder every day, Mm -hmm. given the cost of living in this region continues to rise. And our clients uh, have significant barriers that aren't making them the top candidate when there are openings in those affordable units. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of navigating through the system, things that require expertise of our case management staff, our housing specialists, our benefit specialists, to work with people to overcome income barriers, legal mm-hmm. barriers, language barriers, mm-hmm. um, education, like all of those things that are needed to be successful and maintain housing. Mm-hmm. We work with all of that. So it's both hard and we still do a tremendous job of moving people into those opportunities. Mm. If you could influence the city or county to get some initiative in place, is affordable housing the most pressing need or are there other more important needs out there right now? I think more pressing right now is more emergency assistance. Um, And I mean that in terms of like, it takes a long time to get things built. So where I, you know, affordable housing, of course, is the long term solution. If there was enough housing, then we wouldn't necessarily, we would work ourselves out of a job, which would be wonderful. But because that's so long term and the immediate we need more emergency. So getting creative with unused space, unused land, old motels, things like that, where we could temporarily put in programs Mm -hmm. to serve people in active crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, that would be great having more resources available in that emergency assistance network to get people to keep their housing so that we stop, you know, at a house one, lose three, that we could maybe Mm -hmm. reverse that again, those would be helpful as well. So Mm -hmm. if we can prevent people from becoming homeless, that helps tremendously for our work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there any common misconceptions around homelessness that you find either in volunteers or students or just like the general public? The community at large still has this stereotype or stigma that people who are experiencing homelessness it's entirely as a consequence of their behavior or something that they did wrong or incorrect. And it's much more complex than that. Um, you know, there's systemic things we see just in terms of populations of diversity represented in the homeless population, that there's a disproportionate amount of individuals who are of African-American background or Latino background that, you know, is part of a systemic cultural problem. Yeah. And what are some other misconceptions? They're all mentally ill, that they're all addicted to drugs, that that's the reason for homelessness, that they're lazy, like that it's truly their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, where when you're in our programs, yeah, people are always shocked at how many of our clients are actively working mm-hmm. two, three jobs who have um, been retired from their employment. We're seeing more and more older adults experiencing homelessness for the first time. And that's a direct result of the cost of living going up and their pensions aren't right. So we talk about what income you need and it's like, okay, you get $900 a month in social security benefits. You worked really hard. You did everything right, made all of the correct choices, but now your rent doubled because the market allows for that. And the federal government hasn't bumped up your income to match in this region. Now you're homeless. Mm. Um, So we see a lot of people who've lived in the same location their entire life or for the last 20 years. All of a sudden they're starting over. Mental illness, drug addiction, those are always present, I think, but not to the levels that people assume, Mm -hmm. nor do people 
want to be homeless. This isn't really, I think there's sometimes when people are just choosing that and those mm-hmm. typically aren't who we see in our programs mm-hmm. because this isn't a mandated program. Everybody who's here is kind of choosing to try and get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Or one thing I've heard is like, you know, you see someone with a sign driving down and someone will say, oh, you know, don't give money to that person. They're just going to spend it on drugs. right? Like- sure. The assumption of what people's intentions are. Um, we like to fill in the blank with what's our comfort level. Mm-hmm. What we find in our programs, too, is that for very large chunks, especially in our single adult programs. Those are individuals because we're seeing more chronically homeless people who are so used to being ignored by society or not seen by society that a lot of what we work on is just social re-engagement and letting them know that we see them as human and that they still have all of the, the things that any other person who has shelter has that doesn't go away. Um, it's really interesting you know, we define people not as by who they are anymore, but by where we see them. And then we put all these assumptions based on that fill in the blank with whatever you want mm-hmm. versus that, you know, maybe they're still working really hard. They actually show up there. Your Uber driver, your, mm-hmm. your child's cafeteria worker. We've had nurses, mm-hmm. um, and their family, you know, they got a divorce and all of a sudden can't do child support and rent and all these other things in our region. So it's a lot more broad and a lot more complex than we like to, you know, as a society or as humans, we like to put people in boxes we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. That's not really something that we see when you actually get to know. Mm-hmm. our clients. Yeah. So what kind of individual response like makes the biggest difference do you think? Or, or, or what are some, you know, responses that people can take if they, you know, are maybe just overwhelmed by the size of the problem or they're not sure. sure they can I mean, I think one of the, the easiest and simplest things that we have is we do a lot of work with people who want to come serve meals mm-hmm. and it's more about conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it's being seen. It's letting somebody tell their story and how they ended up here. They're the most interesting stories and typically people have not heard them, right? They're used to being ignored. And so when a client is allowed to tell their story, it connects, they feel validated. And it's something super simple for people who just are like, I don't know where to start. Start there with a conversation. You don't have to give anything. People are just grateful to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how did you get involved with life moves and kind of why did you make the decision to work here? Personally, I was, um, I had volunteered abroad. I worked for the Peace Corps and then I had relocated back to the United States and wasn't really fulfilled in the work I was doing and wanted to be kind of where my social network was. I had a great colleague and friend who worked at Stanford in the athletic department and had volunteered with Life Moves by coordinating having student athletes come and volunteer at one of our family facilities in Menlo park. Mm -hmm. And so when I said I needed to move, she said, I have this amazing organization. And so it just kind of fit into my professional interests and Mm -hmm. a need that was out here. Hmm. Yeah. And then what's been maybe some of the, the more, uh, either interesting or meaningful, um, parts of your, your work that you do. I mean, it's so interesting every day. There's always something different. I love that the agency adapts and changes to meet the need of clients and does them both in a broader context, but also in a really individual one. So probably my most meaningful days are the ones that directly impacted a person and I could hear their 
voice and see mm. their face in my mind even now, mm. because that made a difference. It was a personal connection of something mm. that changed in a positive way for them. Mm. I think one of my strongest ones is, um, I used to run our all male facility mm. and my big personal thing is making things feel very welcome. And so we decorated for the holidays, for all of the holidays. And this is a gentleman who'd been unsheltered for a long time. And he approached me and said, I thought it was stupid when we decorated. I haven't celebrated, you know, a a winter holiday in 20 years. I just, I didn't think I deserved it anymore. And by us just putting it out there and saying, we still see you and you still get to be a part of this societal norm. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, no, I feel like I can. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in 20 years, Mm -hmm. I feel like I deserve to celebrate a holiday. Mm -hmm. And that's a really profound thing. Mm -hmm. So like those are the moments for me, like the really big changes over something really little Mm -hmm. um, or what people would perceive as little. But we also meet clients where they're at. So just... Um, I had a gentleman this morning was like, Oh my gosh, do you remember me? And it's, it's great that, you know, people connect with our staff in that way, that it really is a human connection. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I feel like on one hand, we do need these like systematic solutions, right. That often that might involve, you know, you giving money to an organization and never knowing where it goes or, you know, an extra, you know, 5 million in this part of, the governments and you, you can't really directly see the impacts of that. Right. But that's still obviously really important. And then on, on the other hand, there's the more, you know, personal impact or the, the conversation over serving a meal, right. Where it, it probably feels better. Right. But we probably need some balance, right. Between the kind of individual personal connection and the broader systemic right. solutions. I think, our, I mean, one of the biggest tasks of our development team is really kind of figuring out where to offer that middle because the amazing experiences and moments that I've had in my work are only really done in part because we've had the support of community members who are willing to do those big asks, the system things, the financial support for us to do that deep personal work. Um, and it is a challenge because we know that we want to connect with people, but there's a limit to, how do you connect versus becoming a zoo animal, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, So it's balancing the connection and community in a responsible way for a vulnerable population. And mm-hmm. so our team does a really great job of figuring out the right opportunities that allow for engagement and support um, and mm-hmm. that, that personal touch without it being a circus. Yeah, that's a fair concern, right? That someone just comes in to serve a meal and... Uh, then they never come back, right? It's like, is that still is that still okay? Uh, I mean, all of our programs are vetted or are volunteers, so you know they have to kind of go through a volunteer orientation, and it's pretty rigorous um, for any kind of minor child. We go so far as if they're in the community wanting to serve a family site, we cross check the student schools to make sure one of our students who's in the same school as a volunteer isn't going to be mortified because, mm-hmm. hey, their friend is here and they didn't know they were homeless. Mm-hmm. We take extreme caution to make sure that we protect the confidentiality and privacy mm-hmm. of our clients. And so everything is kind of in that sense, in the public space of volunteering, we 
allow for choice. We allow for kind of an engagement at the comfort level. Mm -hmm. Um, So we limit pictures and photos and names. And it's really only when we have permission of those receiving our services that we do anything publicly like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you mentioned before a couple like stories that didn't stuck with you, but, but are there any other, I don't know, any other people or stories that come to mind that, uh, I don't know, that, that, that are either memorable or have been, been meaningful for you? Not at this facility, but at some of our others, we do talent shows mm-hmm. um, and they're put on by our clients. So, you know, they get to kind of showcase their talent. Um, I have a, had a gentleman client um, at our mental health facility who actually won an Oscar mm-hmm. while he was in our program. Again, want to talk assumptions. Yeah. Um, he'd worked at a film crew mm-hmm. and just, you know, you know, they come a year or two after you actually work on it as when they're out in the public and then nominated for awards. Uh, and he was so embarrassed because he didn't want anybody to know ridiculously talented people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, celebrating people's success mm-hmm. all the time. I think we get to get excited about the the big moments for other people. And that makes it worthwhile when you have the low moments and people who are really struggling because mm-hmm. both exist every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so balancing that with our, our teams, but we have a ton of fun. Uh, what, what advice would you give to either a, co- a college student or like a, a senior college student who's going to like graduate and move into the world? Maybe they, you know, are going to be working in a, a for-profit job, need to make some, some money, but still wants to, to continue to be, uh, compassionate and engaged with issues in their community around them. Like what, what advice would you give? To be informed truly, um, to do the work of learning about the situation from different entities. I mean, you can do that by forming your own ideas, right? So, volunteering where it makes sense Mm -hmm. for your interests and your abilities to, you know, be active in government around policy to participate in for-profit volunteer events, Mm -hmm. right. That go out into those communities, but to dig a little deeper, um, to, to really make an impact. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think the more that you can educate yourself about what's needed, then you can take appropriate action. And that looks different for each person. Mm -hmm. But if you just kind of blindly go on about your day job, that doesn't really serve kind of the, at least the program needs that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe on Apple podcasts and now on Spotify so that you don't miss an episode. Check out the website at voices of for some shortened transcripts and you can like the Facebook page and follow on Twitter. I'll see you next time.